The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. This is from The Hidden Lamp, 25 centuries of women's enlightenment stories. Chinyoni's No Water, No Moon. Chinyoni was a servant in a Zen convent who wanted to practice Zazen. One day she approached an elderly nun and asked, I'm humble of humble birth. I can't read or write and must work all the time. Is there any possibility that I could attain the way of Buddha, even though I have no skills? The nun answered her, This is wonderful, my dear. In Buddhism, there are no distinctions between people. There is only this. Each person must hold fast to the desire to awaken and cultivate a heart of great compassion. People are complete as they are. If you don't fall into delusive thoughts, there is no Buddha and no sentient being. There is only one complete nature. If you want to know your true nature, you need to turn toward the source of your delusive thoughts. This is called Zazen. Chinyoni said with happiness, with this practice as my companion, I have only to go about my daily life practicing day and night. After months of wholehearted practice, she went out on a full moon night to draw some water from the well. The bottom of her old bucket, held together by bamboo strips, suddenly gave way, and the reflection of the moon vanished with the water. When she saw this, she attained realization. Her enlightenment poem was this. With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together, and then the bottom fell out. Where water does not collect, the moon does not dwell. So this morning I wanted to introduce you to one of our great, honorable Dharma aunties in the Zen tradition. Shioni, known as also known as Mugai Niodai. We chanted her this morning. It said she lived from 1223 to 1298. So during her time, Dogen was 23 years old when she was born. And we chant her name in the women's dedication, and our she's the 36th name, and we chanted her this morning. And um, I've always, I have a picture of her that I've had up for a while on my wall of this moment, um, an image that was uh, done as a woodblock cut. Uh, I forgot the, the maker's name, but of that moment where the moon's out and her, and her bucket's just splintering all over, <laughs> just shattered, and there's water just flowing. I love that. 
And this week in art practice online, we worked with uh, intimacy of expression with figments, fragments, breakage, and breakthrough. And um, if we completely accept our brokenness in that intimacy of completely accepting our brokenness, that breakthrough is possible. And there's a, a story from Ajahn Chah, the Thai meditation master, where he said, holds up a goblet, and he said, you see this goblet? You see this goblet? For me, this is already broken. I enjoy it. I drink out of it. Holds my water admirably. Sometimes even reflecting the sun or the light in beautiful patterns. If I should tap on it, it has a lovely ring to it. But when I put this glass on the shelf and the wind knocks it over or my elbow brushes it off the table and it falls to the ground and shatters, I say, of course. When I understand the cup is already broken, every moment is very precious and every shard is complete in itself. He didn't say that, I did. (laughs) Every shard contains the totality. Every piece is complete in its shatteredness, is completion. And each shard can, can hold the whole story. Each shard has the whole story. And the slogans we're working with of Atisha invite us to see every emotion, every unwanted circumstance, every unpredicted condition in our life, and to discover what is beyond brokenness and conditioning. They encourage us to release the fixed self at the center of everything, that misunderstanding. Sufi poet Rumi wrote, you have to keep breaking your heart until it opens, until there is a breakthrough. Whose heart is not breaking? And with that, it can keep opening more and more. We can hold more and more in, in breakage. It makes more breakthrough, more opening to love, to happiness, to identity with everyone, everything that we are. So in this, and, and touch, as this koan is, is bringing up, the vastness of ourself, the boundlessness, that unlimited aspect of our true nature, which we all know. We all know that. This koan is asking us, where does the moon go when the reflection disappears? Where do we go when we let go completely? When we say, let go of the self, where do we go? It scares us sometimes. We think we're going to disappear. What disappears? So a little about Chioni, which is interesting because it doesn't match up with the koan, so I'll, I'll tell you. It said, um, 
The details of her life are uncertain, but it's generally believed that she was given the childhood name Chioni, and her father was Adashi Yasumori, who was uh, a samurai warrior from a um, in the mid Kamakura period. So it, it was a um, a warring family, a warrior family, and they were said to be a high-ranking family. Because she says here, I'm of humble birth. Okay, I can't read or write, but then I read she was trained in um, Chinese and literature. So I don't know which it is. But um, the samurai served the clan lords, raising their children into loyalties. And her father made sure she did study poetry in precise, ordered form, learned to play music, read classics and scriptures, learned archery, swordplay, falconry, and learned to read and speak Chinese as well. And she was raised in a world where the teachings of Buddhism and Zen at that time had been twisted to fit the violence and power struggles of politics and war. There's a book called Zen at War where you can read some of the ways it was twist, we twist this, I, this sense of no self. And, okay, no self, then, you know, there's things I might do because we're not here anyway. That's a misunderstanding. So the idea of no self was corrupted for these violent and power struggles and politics and war. She married at 20. She had a daughter soon after. Then she turned 30. And then she turned 40. And at 45, she began to visit Rinzai monasteries, walking miles to sit, zazen. And she began to wonder what was true about Zen, if it was outside the warrior's hands. Something came into her mind of wondering, what does this mean? What do these, what does this mean, what they're saying in Zen, when it's not used in such a way? And it was also, um, at 54, uh, she became widowed. Her daughter grew up married. Her parents had passed. And very shortly before that, uh, there was the Kublai Khan Mongol army invaded in in the south where she was. So she was um, lonely, in pain, and grief. It was a a war going on, but she was determined. Her Bodhi mind had raised, soared actually, and her aspiration to find out what her life was about, what was real and true, why we suffered so much, because that's what she saw. She wanted to know. So she kept going to temples to practice zazen and became determined to live out the rest of her life as a nun. And one day she showed up the doorstep of Wu Tzu's, Tzuyan's monastery. And he, he was known as Mugaku Sogen and asked for face-to-face teaching. Everywhere she went, she asked for face-to-face teaching. 
That's pretty ballsy, too. In one recorded encounter with her soon-to-be teacher, he asked her, How can I help you? As he gave her a cup of tea, she asked, What is Zen? And she asked this apparently at every temple. What is Zen? And said that Wu Tzu held her in his gaze and said, Zen is the heart of the one who asks, not someone else's words. She was like, oh, I think I found someone. I think I found someone. My teacher died or she would say, Zen is a way of using your mind, living your life, and doing that with other people. That was his definition of Zen. So soon after that, she fully entered into training along at uh, Gakuji. Uh, she shaved her head, gave up her belongings, and ordained she took the name Mugai Neodai, which was part of uh, monastic vows of entry. And as a novice nun, many could feel her drive to awaken. She was really like, how do I do this? How do I, how do I see what's going on here? And the monk in charge gave her an old lacquer bucket with new strips of bamboo and told her to fetch water in the river, which meant she had to go for hours walk a day guaranteed that she would be away from him (laughs) for a while, and he wouldn't have to deal with her. And um, the bucket became rather leaky, and she would spend hours trying to fix it, adding new strips. And she might have said, oh, this bucket leaks like my life leaks. I need to repair it. I need to keep fixing it, keep fixing it. Like many of us think, we have to get fixed, and we keep repairing and repairing, hoping to fix her broken life. And according to legend, she meditated, worked constantly in the temple, and practiced for many, many years without attaining any kind of breakthrough to enlightenment, and became very discouraged in her practice. And that's where the koan picks up. She met this nun and asked her this question, am I like not able to do this? And that's where the nun was really kind and said, everyone can. Everyone has the Buddha nature. I'm of humble birth. Is there any possibility that I could attain the way of the Buddha? It says, and she said, If you want to know your true nature, you need to turn toward the source of your delusive thoughts. So what are are delusive thoughts? We said, if you are deluded, we chanted this morning, you are mountains and rivers away from it. What is deluded? Thoughts. We chant also, to be attached to things is illusion clinging to identities, to titles, talents, possessions, people, religions, all propping up sometimes the I, the me, the fixed, the settled, the known, the dependable. 
So when our life, when our world, when our society is not fixed, settled, dependable, reliable, inevitable, incapable of failing, destined, we're thrown into disarray. We're not into uncertainty. (laughs) Because when there's no fixed point, when there's nothing we depend on, the self that each of us calls I faces the uncertainty of that continuing. There's a death of a kind. Our true self is not fixed, not settled, dependable, reliable, inevitable, incapable of failing, destined. In the dictionary, those are all definitions of certainty. We're not certain. And we enter practice such as this willingly, choosing to enter into the unknown, into our uncertainty. That's certain. Change is certain. Yeah? And so when I read Chioni's verse, um, with this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together. I could, f- I feel that constant t- tension of keeping the bucket together. Right? I feel the exhaustion of many years of vigilance aimed at protecting my idea of myself, who I needed to be, the idea of being my own obstacle. I could see how my mind would get in the way of itself because my trust was misplaced or distorted. And so, in a sense, our practice is to release this grip on the old bucket. Let it fall into pieces. But our conditioning runs deep. And our sense of personal identity, we have one. But it's deeper than that. It's strong. I remember... um, I had just done a firing in Raku, and I got these really great pots. It was a great firing. And um, my, my cabin was very close to where the kiln was, so I put them all in a bag. And I didn't, usually I'll wrap them up in a piece of newspaper before I put them in the bag. And this time I thought, ah, I'm not going that far. I was feeling a little reckless. I was just like, I'm just going to like walk from here to there, with, you know. And I put them in the bag, and I was, I may have, I know this is a little too much information, had to go to the bathroom, but we all know that feeling when you want to do one more thing, and you really have to go, and you get a little reckless. So it was a little like that. (laughs) So I put them in the bag, and I picked it up, and the handle broke. And I heard this sound, which I know, it was a click that I could tell it went through the pile. And I was like, no, no, it can't be, it can't be. And I opened the bag, every pot broke all the way up. It hit perfectly. (laughs) And each one of them was cracked. Well, at this point, after being a potter for so many years, I was just, okay, once again, 
But I don't know, there was something this time that f- was very freeing. Like, it's almost like I, I ordered that. The way I was handling myself, I felt like <laughs> I, I, w- I wanted that on s- I was some level. I-, I wanted it. And so I left them for a while, but I was, I, I, then I learned Kintsugi, which is um, a process of repair with a gold line. And so I, I thought, oh, this is great. Like, I'm just going to start doing these repairing. And it's the philosophy or the practice of Kintsugi is to make things even more beautiful than they were by the breakage. That by putting it back together, it becomes more exquisite. Um, and so there, this, our imperfections, our brokenness is what makes us exquisitely beautiful. And so then I started thinking, well, I don't have to use the same pieces. I can take like whole other different pots and like put something together that wasn't originally together. So that was even more fun. And then I collect shards. So I thought, um, oh, I can use these shards I've been collecting and like bring in these places I've been and add them so it has like this whole like st- other story going on that each shard has its story and now it's making one bowl. Or today I feel like, what if I just left them it all in pieces, shattered on the ground? So this is my work of today. I'm letting things fall apart and looking at the architecture of the shards, of the pieces, as their own piece. And the nun understood that each piece, that there's nowhere we can go, that nothing is ever apart from the Buddha nature, no matter how split apart or broken we may feel, we're never apart from our Buddha nature, ever. That can't be given and it can't be taken away. So delusion is becoming lost in these refractions of reality, reading into things, when lost in habits of misperception. It may be a state of not realizing what we actually know, because we know. We have the Buddha nature. We know. We have the wisdom. So it's apart from that, far beyond deluded thoughts. Knowing what we know, knowing what we don't know. And sometimes deluded is not asking the right questions. My friend used to say, because I'd ask these questions, she'd say, well, if you're going to ask icky questions, you're going to get an icky answer. Maybe that's not the good question to ask. I was like, huh, okay. Like, why am I ba ba ba? Why am I ba ba? And then you're going to get the icky answer. <laughs> Someone said it's a state of not seeing or resistance to see things as they actually are, where we engineer our own misbeliefs and close ourselves off from insight. That's delusion. So the Buddha way, Zazen, is medicine to this conditioning. And all the practices within Zen challenge 
the illusion of a perfect bucket holding it together. Like, just look at Zazen. (laughs) How was that for you? I was never a crier out loud in Zazen. Some people that cried out loud, I was so appreciative to hear that, that, that sound. Like it just, it was just so um, helpful. But I, I could never, I held mine. I held my bucket together. Nobody was going to hear my weeping. That's changed too. <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> might happen right now. (laughs) But I was like, oh, wow, you could just, like, let that fly. That's good. Zazen, the teacher-student relationship, ritual, sangha, community, relationships, service positions, all break the bucket. Not completely, but give it a good yank. (laughs) Anybody? (laughs) Who does not want to appear competent at all times? (laughs) So painful. (laughs) And if we do immerse ourselves in Zen practice, we need to recognize a willingness to come apart in some way. You have to. How do we see that? Sometimes it's appropriate to stop and patch things together. Sometimes it's not. Dogen, who was the founder of our Soto tradition, expressed this beautifully in in, uh, Genjo Koan, one of his masterworks. He wrote, Enlightenment is like the moon reflected on the water. It's like the moon reflected on the water. The moon does not get wet nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. I'm sure you've seen that. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. Enlightenment does not divide you just as the moon does not break the water. You cannot hinder enlightenment, just as a drop of water does not hinder the moon in the sky. So whether we understand that we are this boundless as the ocean, or we believe we're just a dewdrop, a tiny dewdrop on a blade of grass, Our capacity to awaken is just the same. It is neither large nor small. It's not over there somewhere. It's right here in this breath. And this one. And this one. We think we have to change ourselves to get it. But there's nothing we need to get. Just as we are. Flawed, angry. I was talking to someone like, who doesn't get angry? It's like, it doesn't mean you're an angry person. You get angry. You can be many things at once. 
confused. Doesn't mean you're a confused person. It's a moment of confusion filled with self-destructive desires. Help yourself to a drink if water if you need it. The moon's in there. <laughs> Scared shitless. Already Buddha. Already Buddha. Can we see that in ourselves and then another? With everything that's going on in this world, Buddhas that don't know they're Buddhas fighting, but they're Buddhas. We all want the same thing. That makes me cry. <laughs> That's a heartbreak. So Zen is not a self-anything program. Maybe just forgetting. <laughs> it's learning to see clearly that whoever, whatever we think we are, whatever we think limits us, is an illusion. And we have limits. I will not be an algebra major. (laughs) Do not make me your bookkeeper. I have my limits. (laughs) Math is one of them. But maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Maybe I can learn. I just didn't. It, It just went too fast for me, so I passed by. So... That's what I think. Yeah. Most of us think that what we do, we have to suppress or push away parts of ourselves that trouble us. Somebody was telling me that, but that in their practice, they used to be like, no, do not come in and push. Right? Push away what we think, push away what we fear, push away what we crave. How's that working? The Buddha learned over 2,500 years ago, after years of trying to starve himself, six years of starving and torturing himself, his humanity, his desires, what did he say to us? It doesn't work. Don't do it. It's not needed. Notice what the nun said to Chioni. She didn't say, if you want to know your nature, you need to deny your delusive thoughts. That's not what she said. Turn toward the source of your delusive thoughts. It's a lot different. That's because the Dharma gates are boundless. Everywhere we go is a potential door of liberation. That's what the slogans point to. Even in the depths of our own personal hell, if we can keep our eyes open as we enter, we're going through a doorway. We're going through an opening. We hear this all the time, but it's hard to trust. We have to do it, experience it. I hate those self-help things when they say, just turn toward, you know... Open the door, and I'm like, yeah, right. But, like, you have to, like, do it. (laughs) I got to, I was reading this book on betrayal and da-da-da, going through this thing, and 
And I got to the end, and when, when, and she got she helped me so much understand like certain personality things. And I get to the end of the book, and she says, "Find a meditation practice." That's you know, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> After I've had one for so many years, that's what she's telling me, and I'm like, oh my god, really? <laughs> Good lord. Yeah. With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together. Can you relate to that? (laughs) Scrambling like mad to hold it together, maintain, look the part. So scared the bottom could drop out and we never take a moment to drink the water. To drink the water. The cat helped me out on this part. No matter how many strips and straps we grasp onto, patching away as fast as we can, there's no denying, there's a hole in the bucket. (laughs) Dear Eliza, dear Eliza, that's the cat's name. (laughs) I sang that to her. I was like working on this and I said, there's a hole in the bucket. (laughs) It shouldn't surprise us. It's written right there in the, in the Four Noble Truths. Dukkha, suffering, unsatisfactoriness, impermanence is the order of the day. Or as Leonard Cohen would say, who was a traveler on the Zen path, if you didn't know, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There's not a thing in this world that holds together forever, no matter how fiercely we try and make it that way, including our own insight. Can't hold it. Can't hold Buddha. Can't hold Buddhism. If the Buddha becomes an idea and we enshrine it instead of living it and flowing and moving with that flow of what Buddha is, it's useless. My teacher used to say, everything needs to self-destruct. And I used to be like, what? Everything needs to go. With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together. And the bottom fell out. Sometimes the worst thing, the thing we dread the most, can turn out to be just the thing we need. You might find that. Not when we're in it. But actually, if you're practicing, you do have a sense of that. And that could be a little smite of happiness that you know it's just the thing you need. It, it hurts like hell. But there's a little bit of happiness that you're finally getting to it. If we completely accept brokenness, then breakthrough is possible because we're always whole. The things that we cling to for protection can all too quickly become the things that imprison us. How is that? The things we cling to for protection can all too quickly become the things that imprison us. We can think about things in our life like where we don't want to show up or disappear and how that becomes a prison. Like, I don't want to be around people and how that can turn into a prison. 
because we cling to that protection of our bad mood, I'm not in the mood. Sometimes we need that, but sometimes it feels like we're in a prison. We can't go either way. We can't stand being alone, and we can't stand being with people. And we make this prison. So how do we break through? What do we need to do? So what can be sometimes more liberating than things, use the words you want to, torn from us, chiseled from us, acupunctured from us, removed from our grasp, than watching the bottom fall out. And if part of you or all of you just screamed inwardly, are you nuts? (laughs) I don't think you did. But just know you're not alone if you did. I thought it as well. Goes everything against what I thought or felt or been told about my life. Keep it together. That was like like a mantra in my house. Look good. Keep it. We got to look good. Keep Don't eat that. <laughs> Our practice is medicine for conditioning. All practices Challenge the illusion of the perfect bucket. So, our practice isn't for the faint of heart. We know this. As soon as we think we have something, that shiny penny, and we think we can squirrel it away for that rainy day, sometimes it is appropriate to stop patching things together until the water flows freely. I think as students of the Dharma, we live between keeping things from falling apart and letting them fall apart. And knowing how to keep things together is a valuable skill, definitely. What are we keeping together? For whom? Knowing how to care for things led Chioni to continually patch the bucket. Dogen says, don't throw things away that are broken. Try and repair them. And then, throw it away. When it fell apart, she made excellent use of that circumstance as well. So it goes back to our ability in practice and our, the refinement of our capacity for discernment, flexibility, and strengthening our skills and our mind. In a commentary on this cone, Boyd Sensei writes, Awareness of our essential and undeniable freedom comes with the awareness that we and all things are without self. The one who is liberated must be allowed to disappear like water, and the moon. Moving between patched bucket and bottomless bucket, the ability to exercise our freedom to keep things together or let things come apart according to circumstance. So maybe we can, little by little, trust more and more the freedom of living where the moon doesn't dwell and give life to our life.
Thanks. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.